Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. I read this book. I've been reading this little book that I found. Sometimes I like to go back and just kind of look at the, all the old stuff, you know, like the old hymns and the old writers. And some of these guys, you know, there's a movement called the Keswick Movement back in the day in the early 1900s in England that really was um, an amazing movement. And Hudson Taylor spoke there, Amy Carmichael, a lot of great authors, you know, Oswald Chambers, a lot of great um, people and authors um, were in that conference. And one of them was Samuel Zwimmer. Have you ever heard of this guy, Samuel Zwimmer? In the early 1900s, he was, uh, he was called the Apostle to Islam. Uh, he was a guy that had a vision to reach Muslims for Christ in the early 1900s. And Islam was no different then than it is now. And, um, I mean, at that time, I mean, you know, Turkey and all of these places, it was still the same thing. And, and so he had a burden. And it, it was a new idea in a lot of ways um, for someone to talk about reaching Muslims at that time. Uh, because, um, you know, why do that? And so he said that the, he was just, his emphasis was that the church, you know, the church of the, you know, the 20th century's church should really be focusing on Muslims. Anyway, he wrote a book called Flame of Fire, and I read it last night, and I read it again, and then I read it again today. And it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like a booklet. And I just, um, I love Apple products because you can just listen to things, you know, you can just kind of swipe it. And it's just going to start reading the text. And so when I'm driving, I can just listen to text. And um, he said this, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. It is the key to the whole mission problem. And so he's just talking about prayer and like how the uh, Ian Bounds, a great writer about the whole subject of prayer, I think one of the greatest writers about prayer, uh, said that prayer is not just a work of God. It is the primary work of God in the ministry. So prayer, really, I think that, you know, I covet your prayers. I said this to Neil this week and Neil and Sean. I said, I really covet your prayers about what I'm supposed to be talking about, what I'm supposed to be preaching on. Mm -hmm. Because um, I need your prayers because uh, I don't know it all. I'm not the all-knowing pastor here. You know, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I know it's a surprise for some of you. Um, for, for Hannah. <laughs> But I really need your prayers, and, and we need to pray for each other. Um, God will create events and things in our in our team where we have where we're forced to pray for each other. Um, uh, HD and Cali, I'm sure they need prayer. I don't know of anything any problems, but you know, you know, Lori needs our prayers. Her dad, you know, just different people. Jason, Brittany, uh, let's remember people's names and. And I have a three-second rule with God. If I have someone on my, if I have someone on my mind for more than three seconds, ten seconds, it means I'm supposed to either text them or pray for them. And usually that's pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, God. That's usually like a, a good thing. And and so let's be praying for each other. So uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says, "For our God is a consuming fire." He wrote this book called Flame of Fire, and I've just been thinking about the book of Acts. I was thinking about what makes the book of Acts uh, so incredible, and it's really the presence of God. You know, what was the main events before, the, you know, in the beginning of the book of Acts is that the Spirit was present and the whole place trembled. 
you know, when God's presence, everything trembles. And that's a good thing. And that can also mean some change or maybe that's some disturbance in our life, trembling. I remember when God brought our family, my dad got saved and brought our family into the church. And I remember we were just the normal middle-class Americans living the American dream. Dad had a job. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. As soon as we, my, they become, dad and mom become disciples, uh, we had like spiritual earthquakes on every, you know, every and every way. And it was because the presence of God was being invited into our family and into our life by an intentional decision by my parents to make, to take steps of faith. And so um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says, our God is a consuming fire. When we think about the Trinity, when we think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, um, we cannot forget who they are in reference to our life. God is the planner of our life. Jesus is the executor of the plan, the finisher of the plan, and the Holy Spirit is the revealer of that plan. I think that Christianity can get, can get distracted or detached from that. And so that we get into some kind of sub-level worship of God, you know. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, uh, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. And that's us. Sometimes people think that those are angels, but it's really the, Hebrew, the Greek word there is ministers or servants. And so the characteristic of our life, the characteristic of God, the characteristic of the work of God is fire. It's just fire. And... I was just thinking, you know, the book of Acts, you know, Acts chapter 2. We'll get into it later, but the Acts chapter 2, we see fire coming down. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we see that God gifts the apostles for the ministry of the, of, of the church. And everybody gets stuck on that. But the point is, is that God is gifting uh, his people to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And so fire is the characteristic of the move of God. Think of uh, so many examples. For example, uh, Paul said to Timothy, stir into flame the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of hands, 2 Timothy 1.6. Uh, Timothy had inside of him the fire of God which was the gift that was given to him by the putting on of hands. And that just means, it doesn't mean some magic, magical transferal of power. You know, like, okay, now I'm going to magically transfer my power on you. But it just means, it just means investment. Paul invested in Timothy. Paul invested everything that he had received from Christ and ministry of the word and invested that in Timothy's life. And Timothy had the fire of God. I think that there are people in your life and in my life that need the fire of God in their life. And when we say fire of God, it's, it's, not, a, it's not an emotional thing. It's not some kind of experience. It's not some kind of um, mystical thing. But it really is. Um, it is really simply the presence of Jesus Christ. First of all, though, whenever we look at fire, it's so interesting to see that some of the oldest religions in the world, they were fire worshippers, weren't they? They worshipped fire, because fire has this incredible power. It it does three things. Fire separates, fire um, bonds together, and then fire purifies. Those are the three things that fire does, and that's what the fire of God does in our life. It, it separates, it bonds things together in our life, 
it fuses things together in an inseparable way. And thirdly, it separates us from, uh, it cleanses us from, uh, it, it rids us of, it pure, I'm sorry, the third thing is purifies us. I'm sorry, that's what I wanted to say. So in the Bible, and so like when we look at fire, we see fire worshipers. Um, uh, people would worship fire and they would always associate fire with their deity. In the Bible, over 400 times in the Old Testament and 75 times in the New Testament, fire is associated with the appearance, manifestation, the power, and the symbolism of God. And so fire is a big thing. It's a, and why am I saying this? Because the God of fire is really Jesus Christ. Now, the Jesus Christ, the, the picture that we have of Jesus Christ and the picture that we give to our kids in Sunday school is a picture of a nice looking guy, amiable face, kind of a, you know, like kind of a decent, cool, you know, I don't know. We, we don't see, you know, we're not giving our kids on, in Sunday school a radical, you know, uh, um, disturbing, fiery Jesus. It's, and this is so easy for us to get the wrong concept of who God is. The devil is always addressing our concept of God. He's always trying to change that. He's always trying to switch it so that, you know, we we um, live in something less than who God really is. For example, Elijah. When we see Elijah, he he prays, and God is the God that answers by fire. And this is my prayer in our lives that we would not just be theoretically put. Uh, religiously correct in our vocabulary that we would just be another church on the block that's just kind of got everything in order and and not ruffling any feathers but something that where we would have like the fire of God in uh, in our midst because it's only when the fire of God falls that the prophets of Baal see God it's only when the fire of God falls is when people really see uh, the power of God. And that's what we really desire to see. I really desire to see the power of God work in people's lives and change people's lives. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. We can't change people's lives. You know, we all know people that we'd like to see God, we'd like to see their lives different, don't we? We're, distur- we're disturbed when we see their life. We're like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then sometimes we try to get into their life and try to change things and, and suggest and maybe even have hard conversations with them. But until the fire of God falls, in their life, um, things are not going to change. And so, um, when we look at Jesus Christ, um, the picture that you and I ha- should have of Jesus Christ shouldn't necessarily be only the picture that we see of him in the Gospels. It really should be what we see of Jesus Christ in the last book of the Bible, Revelation mm-hmm. chapter 1. Read that. I'm going to read it to you right now. And this is the Christ that we worship. I'm saying this because I was so challenged when I read his book and I just thought, you know, am I worshiping a philosopher? Am I worshiping um, a policeman? You know, these are the different concepts that people have of Jesus. Am I worshiping a a miracle worker? Am I worshiping a psychologist? You know, who am I worshiping? (coughs) Revelations chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. It's Revelations 1, verses 12 through 16. John is here. Uh, Jesus is speaking to John, uh, speaking to him about the churches. And then John turns around to see the voice that spoke with me. 
and this is interesting because it's always it always begins with the voice people don't necessarily see jesus but they hear a voice and that's maybe the voice that you are giving to people about who god is but they they hear the voice they hear the voice for a while and then after a while they turn around and then they see jesus for themselves and he turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, I don't want to get into what all this means because every one of these things have specific meaning and a specific thing. But just listen to the majesty of who Christ is here. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, which are of the churches, one like the Son of Man. He looks like the Son of Man. He looks like a human being, but clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His hair, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Imagine that, a, a, a man that's got like, you know, like this white, amazing blazing hair. Um, uh, his eyes were like a flame of fire. And that just means like, you know, here am I getting, I'm getting into the meaning here, but the discernment in his eyes. Like he, you, you ever look at someone that has so much conviction in their life and it just kind of, just burns away the dross in your soul. I mean, it's like, this is the way Jesus looks at Paul on the road to Damascus and he's converted. Okay, and we said that on Sunday. He has fire in his eyes, flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. Brass speaks of judgment. It speaks of God's ex- ex- executive um, judgment on evil and on sin as it, ref- as it was refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. Imagine that, many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, a sharp two-edged, two-edged sword, and his, which is the word of God, and his countenance, or his face, was like the sun shining in its strength. And that's who we worship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen? That's like, that is the Christ that's in our, that's in our lives today. That's the crisis in our finances. That's the crisis in our business. That's the crisis in our church. That's the crisis in our family. You know, not some suffering la, la pathétique in, in French, like this pathetic man defeated on the cross like you see in some religions where they still have him pinned to that cross and there's no resurrection. Okay, Jesus is the Logos, the, 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 the uh, God in the flesh, in Second Thessalonians chapter one verse seven, it says that he's coming with flaming, fiery angels when he comes back. So it's like fire is just it just it just it is the signature of God. Okay, in the book of Exodus, remember, as the Israelites are are trekking through the the desert, what was leading them at night? Pillar of fire. You know, and I like that. I like that. That in our night seasons. There's a blazing fire that, that gives us light. Isn't that awesome? Like when things get really dark, we just look at Jesus Christ and we see that blazing light. And he's coming with his flaming angels. So what does this mean to us practically and how do, how do we internalize this? Well, one of my, just a verse I love to meditate on. I, I, I think that all of us have these verses that we just like to meditate on and just think about. And I like this verse in Leviticus chapter 6. Verse 8. Now, Leviticus chapter 6 is about the burnt offering. It's about fire. The whole chapter is about fire. Um, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, 
saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on an alt, uh, on the hearth, upon the altar, all night until the morning. Now, like, let's look at the let's look at the details here because this is really amazing. The burnt offering, that offering was to be on the altar all night until the morning. Okay, it had to be there all night until the morning until the morning broke, the first light of the day, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. So the command here is is that Aaron the high priest, which is a picture of Jesus Christ and his sons, we are his son. We are sons of God. We are serving uh, as priests with God. We're they were responsible to keep that all that 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 offering on the altar all night, burning. And the priest shall put on his garment. What kind of garment? I like details. Like there was a specific garment. You know, God is very specific. It's a linen garment, and the linen garment really. Uh, speaks of a light kind of easy um, uh, garment that was that didn't cause sweat because uh, in the kingdom of God Jesus sweat for us and God doesn't get glorified in human effort in human striving in human wisdom and so linen speaks of that that robe of righteousness where I'm just living in faith rest and I'm not striving to please God as I'm as I'm serving Him. He just wants us to, uh, with an easy yoke, serve Him. So this is the linen garment, and His linen trousers shall be upon His body. And take, listen to this: take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and He shall put them beside the altar. So what's happening here? In the morning, the altar, the 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 priest had to put on this linen garment, go into. Um, go into the altar, take whatever was left over all the ashes from the from the the burned offering, and he had to clean it. And he had to take it off and put it next to the altar. Then he would take off his garments in verse eleven, put on other garments, carry the ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. That means that there is no ashes. I heard one preacher say that the ashes of the altar represent um, uh, the burnt offering represents the the offering for sin for uh, for our for sins committed and the ashes represent memories of those sins the the emotions of those sins I think all of us have in our life the memories and the emotional impact of sin although the sin may be taken away there sometimes we live with these ashes you ever have uh, you ever you ever get ashes on you? They're just kind of they just smudge everything, and they're just so. And I think that sometimes we can live in these memories of the impact of sin. When the and and Jesus, who is the high priest, comes, takes these ashes. Now, why does the ashes have to be removed? Because ever ever try to light a fire in in your chimney with ashes in there? It's not going to burn. It's going to be hindered. It's going to be the fire is not going to be burning full strength. And so God wants to remove, Jesus Christ has removed all of those, not only the burnt offering, but he's also remo removed all of the ashes and all the memories and all of the dirty stuff. And he's taken it out to outside of the camp. And that means like to a place where no one can go and to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and shall not be going out. 
So the idea here was that the fire was to continually to be burned, consuming the burnt offering, and the ashes in the morning would be removed. The priest will burn wood on it every morning, lay the burnt offering in order, meaning that there was an order that the offering had to be put on the altar. It couldn't just be thrown on there. There was a specific order that God had, and he shall on it burn the fat and peace offerings of fire. And then verse 13, the last verse in that passage here I want to read, is a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Now let's bring this into like a, a personal application. Um, there are three things about about fire. That first, there is ignition. You know, there needs to be that igniting. Um, uh, then there's the process of combustion, and during that process of combustion, there's always something that's being burned, something that's been sacrificed, something that is being eaten by the fire. And then lastly is the result, the result, resulting light and illumination from that fire. I remember one time, uh, way back, <laughs> you got to laugh at this, but way back in the day, uh, we had a live Christmas tree, and it was Christmas was over, and I thought, wow, we just throw it in the fireplace. <gasps> and I threw it in the fireplace, and the flames, it was just immediately, com almost like immediate combustion. And it was like roaring, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to burn my house down right now. <laughs> and, and this fire <laughs> devoured that tree within minutes. Um, what is, the what is the igniting of the fire? Sometimes we are in a place where we feel like the fire is going, going low, the fire is, is dwindling, I don't have that fire in my life that I used to. I don't have that zeal. Um, I don't. And sometimes we just kind of we just kind of rationalize it away, or sometimes we just excuse it away. But sometimes there are moments where we don't feel like we have that fire in our life. And there's one of two things we can do. We can either compensate for, with with strange fire, which is emotionalism or programs or or are working extra hard to make up for that fire that we don't feel that we have, to appear busy when we're not really passionate. And so when we don't have that fire, what do we do? Well, there's an ignition, and that igniting is really a gift from God. I like to look at it like this. Here is Paul in Asia Minor. He's wandering around Asia Minor trying to figure out where does God want him. God appears to him when he gets to Troas, which is the farthest, most western location, you know, in, East, in, in Asia Minor. He could not go any farther west. And in Troas, God appears to him in the form, Jesus appears to him in the form as a Macedonian man. And that ignited something in Paul's life. Uh, let me ask you, uh, has there been something, a time in your life, where you really feel that you've had in some way a Macedonian moment. Maybe it wasn't for going on a mission field, but maybe it was for something else in your life where you were like, from head to toe, you had a deep conviction from God that this was something that God wanted you to do in your life without question. Have you ever had that? You know, maybe we've had it several times. You know, I think about the time when we decided to come to Texas, you know, and that... That for me, I had a moment where, and I like to look at every major decision in my life and look at a moment where did I have a Macedonian man mo moment? And sometimes those moments were like very powerful. Sometimes those moments were very simple, but very persuasive. And I just remember the first time we came here, we went to the Lion's House and it was in September. 
and something happens, and I've shared it with you before, and that struck me so much that like Jesus is calling us here to this place. And it was, and, and, and I often go back and think about it. I think about that moment and it stirs me up. That's like a, a, that ignition, you know. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place we don't know how we got there, but then God meets us there, right? You know, and that, 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 that happens too. So like that igniting, that, that moment where we, in Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, place ourselves on the altar and we say, Lord, I don't know what is going to happen in my life. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, but I'm just putting myself on the altar and you got to light that fire. You just got to light the fire. The high priest, Jesus Christ, has to come and he has to light the fire because I can't light it myself. And sometimes God will just wait to see if we're going to light the fire ourselves. you know. And that's what Elijah did. And, and my wife and I like to talk about this a lot, that Elijah brings the offering to the altar and he pours 12 barrels of water on it. Like how much more can you discourage a miracle? Like I like Elijah a lot. I mean, he is just like, He's like, you know, I just want to make this so God that there's no room for me to even, you know, maybe, you know, do something. Twelve barrels of water on this. And then what does Elijah do? Does he pray all night? No, he prays a 20-second prayer. And then fire comes down from heaven, burns up, the, burns, burns up the sacrifice, burns up the altar, burns up the water around the sacrifice, and, and just kind of goes up and singes the hairs of the, of the prophets of Baal. Like that's the way God wants to work in our lives, but Paul, but 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 Elijah didn't try to force something for God to do, and so so the first step I think for us to kindle that fire in our life is first present ourselves as a living sacrifice on the altar, and that's the cross. What's the altar for the Christian today? It's the cross. Mm-hmm. I just go to the altar every morning. That's my altar, and say, God, I'm bought with a price. My life is not my own. Live through me so that the manifold wisdom of God can be revealed to the church, to the angels, and, 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 to, you know, and to God. And like that's our altar. Present yourself to the altar and say, God, you know, like, you've got to come in and you've got to ignite this. And then wait for God to do it. And then secondly, combustion. There's always that combustion. There's something that has to burn. And that ignition is something that is going to be burning the sacrifice. And when we look at Moses, I'm going to finish here in a second, but when we look at Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert, this guy was discouraged. This was a discouraged man. He was discouraged. I mean, he was next next in line to be the Pharaoh, and then now he's he's exiled to a desert. Uh, He has a family with a woman who is just like, you know, some Bedouin maybe, just, you know, doesn't even, you know, this is some strange woman. I mean, it was his wife, but like not from his tribe. And uh, he has these kids, he has his life, and he's living in the desert. And this man is a discouraged man. And Jesus walks through, he, he walks down, he walks, he's not even looking for God. And then here's the bush. The bush is on fire and it's burning, but it's not, it's not, it's not being consumed. And I think that is such a picture of the New Testament Christian's life that, that, that Moses presented himself to God and said, here I am. I've kind of maybe messed up my calling. I've messed up my life. I've messed things up. But here I am. God says, God is burning there at the, at the 
at the at the bush. Moses sees it. He goes over to see what's happening, and God speaks to him out of the bush. And that's where God is speaking from. And when when a Christian is on fire, it doesn't mean that I'm burning myself up till I have until I have no energy and till I destroy my life, destroy my family, destroy everything, and just you know. But being on fire for God means that something is burning in my life, and it's and it, and I am not being consumed. What's burning? Jesus Christ, the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. I think sometimes we think that we have to burn our lives up and then just, you know, being extreme here, but die a premature life, a premature death in some way where we have this kind of gross uh, ascetic type of view of serving God where, where I have to burn everything, burn everything. But it's not that way. And what is burning in our life? When we present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice... There's a burning that begins when we totally surrender to God and say, God, I have no more energy. There's no more me left in this. And that could take a few years when that happens. Then God can light the fire and something's burning in our life and it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. He is burning. And as he burns, uh, as he burns, I'm not being consumed. And that's that's grace. That's like, that's how to serve God without burning out. I think some pastors or some Christians or some, um, you know, as a team, we could be so focused on like, I got to do something for God, burn myself out, and then expect something from God in return. That's not the way God works. That's not an economy of grace. So, and then lastly, um, 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 that's when the power of God's revealed. There can be no power and no light and no heat without the sacrifice on the altar. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 50, I came to, to cast fire on the earth and how I'm straightened till it be kindled. And, uh, and that's that verse in Isaiah 53, verse 11. And I'd just like to read that as we, as we close. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Um, when we present ourselves a living sacrifice on the altar, Jesus comes, lights the fire, um, then we discover this new passion in our life. We see the Macedonian man. We see, you know, I think about what Chris said. You know, I want to come down here and I want to just get a burden from God for the people of Houston. And I know that's a prayer that God will answer. Whether, however God does it with him, I don't know. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But when we pray like that, we say, God, I want to see the Macedonian man in my life. You know, uh, God will answer that prayer. And he'll give us an eternal purpose. That when we wake, when I wake up in the morning, that I'm just so excited about being here. I'm just so excited about what God's doing, even when nothing's happening. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that God is present in my life. Um, I'm excited about God's people. I'm excited when there's two there, and I'm excited when there's two hundred people. I'm excited. I'm just because there's what's burning in my life. It's not me and my vision, you know, but it's God's heart, you know. And so I think that this is a great way for us to keep the fire burning. And then sometimes when we need to detect those ashes, the ashes that are starting to pile up, the leftover of, of what God's taking away in my life. Don't get occupied with the ashes. Sometimes we look at the things that God's trying to remove from our life and we say, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Well, great. What else is new? You know, we are not called because we're amazing people. We're called because we just said, Lord, you know, I am responding to your call. And when we do that, um, 
God removes those assets. Isaiah 53, verse 11, it says, um, He shall see the labor of his soul, and it's speaking about Jesus here, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. And I will divide, a, divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he is numbered with the trans- transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made transgression for the transgressors. And so this is what Jesus did. He is our sacrifice. And whenever we start feeling tired or like the, 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 the fire is burning low, look at the sacrifice. Look at Jesus Christ and just have that, we used to call it growing up in our church, fragranced memory. Think about those times in your life where the Lord visited you. You know, do you have those times where you felt like God visited you? You know, like in the car or in in your in prayer or just somewhere or talking to somewhere where you just sense like, I sense God's presence. I feel like he's with me. I feel I sense he's leading me in this direction. Um, those are the things that clear out the ashes. And when the fire of the Lord burns, I, I think another way too is just meditation. When we just sit down and just meditate and think about God and we think about the, the, the mighty God that we serve, I think a fire starts to kindle. Um, David said that I sat down and I began to th- meditate. It says muse in the King James, but I began to meditate and the fire burned. And I think that when, when we sit down and just begin to meditate about what God's done, what God's done on the cross for us, mm-hmm. what God is doing, when we, God is, how gracious God has been, what God has done in our midst, what what God has added us to, and we begin to meditate on those things. We begin to begin to meditate like the the faithfulness of God. My wife and I do this sometimes, you know, like if we're in a time of need, we always just kind of think about what God has done in the past. You know, remember how God has worked in the past. We meditate on those things. And then the fire of God's faithfulness begins to burn in our hearts. And then sometimes when we think about how lost the world is and we lose our fire for the lost, we can start thinking about God's heart for people. You know, stories about how God has ministered to you and through ministered to people through you. And so I just finished with that. Um, let the fire of God, let that burn in our hearts because when the fire of God falls, that's when we see people really transformed lives and that's what gives glory to God when people's lives are just totally changed. <clears throat>